Anyway, we are, we are in a series around the book of Joshua, and um, tonight I'm quite excited because I feel like there's a, there's a moment in Joshua's life that, that something, something shifts in him, this 80-year-old man. Um, remember, the context of the book of Joshua is, is Joshua is now 80 years old. When he left, when he left Egypt, he was 40. So you can imagine now Joshua was 40 years old. He was there. He saw the whole movie. So he saw Moses coming with the plagues, with the, with the power of God moving the gods, moving against the gods of Egypt. He was there on that last, that last big miracle, that last plague, that, that moment where the firstborn of the whole, uh, whether, you were, whether it was an animal or a person, the God took, took out the firstborn as a judgment on, on, on Egypt. And um, God, he was in that space when God said to the people, make sure that you, pl you, you put blood on the frameworks, the frames of your door frames. Uh, make sure that you paint them with blood. And if you do, and you eat the lamb, and you eat all of it, and there's a whole bunch of instructions around the Passover, he says, if you do that, the angel of death will pass over you. Remember this, Joshua was there. You can imagine Joshua now, he was there, his firstborn boy lived but the firstborn neighbor didn't because he didn't have the blood of the lamb. So this is, this is Joshua. He's seen it all. He's seen them come out of Egypt. He's seen them being delivered out of Egypt and then being supplied just with this abundance of jewelry and gold and silver. He's seen God take them to the Mount Sinai. And he's seen God show them his will, give him his heart. Actually, this is how you guys are going to live. This is how you're going to be different to the nations of the world. And I want you to embrace this because actually this represents my heart for you as a nation. He then comes out of, out of Sinai and about to go into the promised land. And God says to uh, Moses, sends out 12 spies, of which Joshua and Caleb are, are two of them. Joshua was there when he came back and the 10 said, no, we can't do it. We're like grasshoppers. We're, these guys are giants. We're never going to, the land is good, but man, we can't do it. And Joshua said, yes, we can, God said. Joshua was there then. I've missed out a step. He watched them. He watched the waters pass or break open as the, as the whole nation went through the Red Sea. Joshua was there then. And then, he, and, then he, and then God says, no, 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 you've got 40 years of wandering in the desert. He was there then in the disappointment of that. He watched his friends, his fellow spies, die out one by one. He was there when they, when, they, when they came now to the promised land and God said, it's time to break camp. It's time to move north. You're going in. And, and he was there then. But by now, he's 80 years old. And Joshua is standing on the, this side of the, of the Jordan. It's in flood. And God says, you're going to cross. And in Joshua's mind, man, I've seen this happen before. And he trusts God and the waters part. And then he moves across, and, he's, and, he's, and, and remember, there's a whole generation that hasn't been circumcised. Joshua has been circumcised, because that's what happened in the, when they came out. And then they enjoy the second Passover ever. It was meant to be something they would celebrate every year, but for the second time, Egypt for the first time, and now entering the Promised Land the second time, they had Passover. They remember the, the deliverance of God out of Egypt. They remember the blood of the lamb, and they do exactly what God told them to. 
Joshua's seen it all. He's got the T-shirt. He's been there. He's seen the miraculous hand of God move. He's seen God deliver. He's seen God's plagues. He's seen waters part. He's seen it all. Jericho's in his sights. And he's thinking, God, I've seen it all. I've got it all. I'm 80 years old. Man, I can't hold the sword like I used to. But man, God, I think I know you more than what I ever did. And I'm trusting you. And as it says in, in Joshua's chapter 5, verse 13, if we can go there, that's the context for which we find ourselves now as Joshua is about to head into Jericho. I love tonight, I love the fact tonight, the words, the refrains were amazing, but I love that it was Emmy who doesn't normally sing, sings. And I love the fact that Millie comes who doesn't normally sing, sings. I love, I love the fact that people are stepping out. Who else was it tonight? That's uh, uh, Ryan Herter. Wonderful, Ryan. God, God, friends, God is asking us to step out in this season. God is asking us to step out of the boat onto the water, and that's what tonight's actually all about. So this is what it says in verse 13 of chapter 5 of Joshua. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, I love that. Jericho's there. He knows the next thing is Jericho. He's waiting. He's saying, God, he's walking towards Jericho. He's, he's seen this. God said, you're going to take it. And he's walking towards Jericho. He knows. He's an 80-year-old man. He's known it. Remember this. He's seen it all. He's done it all. He's got the T-shirt. He's seen the miraculous hand of God break out. This is not an inexperienced man. This is a man who knows his God. He looked up, and he saw a man standing in front of him with a sword drawn in his hand, with a and I thought, I said this morning, it's like you can, what do you think that looked like? You think it was like the man that he saw was like this guy standing with this. Buttering his toast or envelope opener or something. No, I don't think so, friends. I think what he saw, when you see the context, is he saw this. He saw a man standing with a sword in his hand wasn't a little sword, it was a sword, and it wasn't a pouch sword, a sheath short sword. It was a sword that was ready for action. It was a sword that was ready for battle. This was a battling man. This was a man that, the man that he saw was somebody who was up for the fight and in the fight. And so he's thinking, ah, oh, cheapers, we're about to have a fight, and he asks him the question. This is what he says. Are you for us or for our enemies? That's an obvious question. And this guy says, neither. Some translations just say no. It's like you asked the wrong question, no. Are you for us, against us? No. Well, which one? No. You're asking a dwarf question, change the question. Neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, commander of the army of the Lord, the Lord of hosts, some translations say, the Lord of the hosts of heaven, I now have come down. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence. Other translations say in worship. He, this, this, this man reveals himself as an angel, as, a, as the spiritual being that is, that's like God. He, he's, he carries something. Suddenly he realizes, I'm, actually, I'm coming face to face with God. And he falls flat on the ground and he worships him. And he asks him, then he asks him this question, what message does the Lord have for his servant? 
He changes his question completely. I'm going to get to that now. The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. And so there's this incredible encounter that Joshua has, this military man who encounters this military man. He's about to take Joshua, uh, Jericho, and he encounters this soldier, this, this army of the, this commander of the army of the heavens, this, this angelic being. There's two other places in Scripture that this, this angel, this commander, this angel is seen with a sword drawn. One is with Balaam. Do you know who Balaam was? Balaam was a prophet, kind of a false prophet kind of guy. We're not quite sure. Sometimes he heard from God, sometimes he didn't. And he was riding his donkey, and the donkey saw this angel with his sword drawn. And the donkey moves away because it gets scared, and he crushes his leg, and he hits the donkey. And then the donkey falls to its feet, falls to its knees. It can't walk. He hits the donkey. And the donkey sees the angel, but that Balaam doesn't. And the next thing, but the donkey speaks to Balaam and says, hey, bud, why are you hitting me? Can you not see what's in front of us? You see, sometimes, friends, the very thing that we're asking for, the very thing that what God wants to speak to us is right in front of us, but we can't see it because we're not ready to see it. And he comes and he sees, and he sees that, then eventually it says God opens his eyes, and he now hits the deck, and he says, oh, Lord, what are you saying? The second time we see this donkey, not this donkey, this guy, this, uh, this guy with his sword drawn, is, in a, is a moment of judgment. David goes and counts his men. When he shouldn't, God said, don't look at the size of your army. Look at the size of your God. You don't need to count your soldiers. He goes and he counts his soldiers, and what happens is David encounters the army of the, this, this army commander with his sword drawn about to slay Jerusalem. And David says, oh no, what have I done? Lord, please stop. Please don't take my life, not the life of the people. I was the one that did wrong. And he encounters this, this commander army, this commander angel. Those are the two times that the, the, this, this man stands with his sword drawn. One time, nobody sees him. The other time, it's a time of judgment. This time, it's a warrior that's fighting on behalf of his people. And we start to see Joshua start to engage this guy in a profound way. You see, friend, what we understand from this is that the very thing that God promises us he fulfills. And in our Western minds, we, and our, particularly in our Western Greek kind of thinking, learning processes that we do in school, we don't see heaven and earth. We only see earth. But what this, what this, what this encounter teaches us, it teaches us that actually when God says He's going to do something, heaven starts to act before we start to see it on earth. That's why prayer is such an important part of our lives as believers. Because when God speaks, we start to pray into action. We start to partner with God in prayer because what God speaks already starts to take place in heaven before, before it manifests on earth. So when we pray the prayer, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, that's what it means. It means that something's already happening in heaven that we now need to partner with God to see it fulfilled on earth. And Joshua starts to realize this. Man, I've seen this all before. 
but I've never seen the angel of the Lord. I've never seen the angel of the Lord come. And he encounters this angel. But what's phenomenal, friends? This angel of the Lord is this kind of, the, the, he, he's kind of, he's spoken of as God in some accounts throughout the text. You'll have a look at Gideon chapter 6, and got Gideon, Judges chapter 6 with Gideon. In particular, it shows you this. But, but he's spoken of as God, but then somehow distinct from God. And so that's why many people say that this is Jesus that he's encountering. <clears throat> you see, it's, it's, this, it's this God. You see, the, the, the idea of the Trinity, of God being three but one, was something that was right from right through the Scriptures. The Jews in the New Testament had a concept that there was God, but there was kind of distinctions made and differences, but, but it was one God. Quite mysterious, the Trinity. But so what we see here is we see him encountering this, this angel, and a number of other people encountered this angel, not, not with his sword drawn, but just this, the person of this angel. The one person was Moses. Moses encountered the angel in the bush, in the burning bush. And Moses argues with God. He argues with God. Friends, I tell you what, God in these days... We need an encounter with the angel of the hosts of the Lord. We need an encounter with this God, with his sword drawn, where he means business, and we're not asking the questions, he's asking us the questions. He's giving us commands. It's the commander of the army of the Lord. And, jo and Moses starts to, starts to ask questions of him. And eventually God says, listen, I can't deal with you anyway. Take Aaron, he'll speak on your behalf. If you think you can't do it. I'm telling you, you can, but if you think you can't, Aaron will go. So he has kind of second best. The, the another time when this army, this, 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 this army, this, uh, this angel comes and appears is with Jacob. Jacob wrestles with this angel. Says the whole night he wrestles with him until he gives in, until he says, no, actually I want your blessing. And, and eventually he submits to and actually displaces his hip and he walks with the limb for the rest of his life, but he does do and walk into the plans of God profoundly. But you know what, friends, when we encounter this angel, this, this, this God, it's a moment in your life when you've crossed over the Red Sea, you've crossed over the Jordan, your heart's been circumcised, God's working in your heart, you know the blood of the Lamb, but until that moment when you encounter the Lordship of God, when you know this is God and God is God, and no matter what's happening, God is God. He's got his hand on his sword, and he's ready to fight. And he's, thank goodness that he's on your side, and he's fighting on your behalf. But there's that moment before we start to take Jericho that we've got to know God is God, and we don't mess with God. And we can wrestle with, that, with him, we can argue with him, or we can do what Joshua did is fall flat, flat on your face and worship him. And I want to suggest to us, friends, that's the right response when we encounter this God. We're to fall flat on our face and worship Him. It's a profound moment in Joshua's life. This 80-year-old man who has to be reminded again that God is God. And what God has for me, I can't do without God. You see, friends, our view of God so often is that God is this kind of rich best friend of yours. 
He's, God is not a best friend, not your rich best friend. God is our friend. And kind of he, 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 he's kind of a little bit lax and kind of he's your pal, he's your mate. Actually, no, no, this is the God who commands the angels of heaven. This is the creator God. This is the God who is absolutely, profoundly in charge. And God has to just remind Mo, uh, Joshua again, remember, my buddy, you've seen all of this, but remember, it's all me. It's all me. doesn't matter how long we're walking with God, no matter how long many miracles we've seen, we've got to know this. Before we take down, before the walls come down, God is God. And what God says goes. And we don't argue with God, and we shouldn't be wrestling with God. We should be falling on our faces flat and worshiping God. It's an absolutely profound moment that I believe every single one of us have to walk through. And it reminds me of the picture that I, that I spoke about a, a, a few months ago, that actually the fact that we're not on a cruise liner, but we're actually on an aircraft carrier. It reminds me of the fact that actually what God has called us to, friends, is not all about us. We're not at the center of the picture, of the story. God's at the center of the story. Jesus is at the center of the story, and we're in partnership with Him. You see, church and Christianity is not all-you-can-eat all ice cream bars. That's just for one night only. Next Tuesday night only. Come and enjoy. You see, it's, it's this, this walk that we walk, friends, is not as much as you like pizza and actually try to get you back to the ship and try to get your money again. And try to, it's not about us, friends. It's actually God's got a mission for us. God's got a plan for us. He's got a purpose for us. He's got an inheritance for us that we've got to walk into. We've got Jerichos to bring down. We've got giants to slay. We've got all these things to happen. But friends, it's not about us. It's about Him. And this is one of those moments when Joshua realizes, actually, just in case I forgot, this is all about God. The priority of my life is God. I love Joshua's response that is one of worship. You see, his question changed from are you for me to what message do you have for me, your servant? It's, it's kind of his attitude changed to, oh, listen, are you for me? Because if you, it's about me, are you for me or against me? All of a sudden he realizes this is God. The question changes and he says, what, what are you saying to me? What, what are you saying to your servant? Not only does he fall down in his place and worship, but actually he changes his question to, what's the message for your servant? Man, this is an 80-year-old man who's seen it all, done it all, but he sees himself as a servant. But you see, you've got to have an understanding of this God that is large and in charge with his sword drawn, fighting on our behalf, fighting for our destiny, fighting for his will and his purpose and his plan to be fulfilled in the earth. When he says, what is the message that you have for me? Basically, what he's saying is this. What you say, I will do. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Whatever you say, I'll do it. Friends, do we live lives that's come out again, now the walls come down, and fear and pride? And, do we do what God says? Are we living lives, or do we compromise? Are we 
kind of there and thereabouts, and I'll do the things that I like, what God says, but not these ones. It's absolutely profound. And then he says this. He says, he doesn't say to him, he doesn't give him strategy. The strategy comes later, a little bit later on in the verses. Go around six times, seven times, they, the thing, the walls will come down. You know what his message to him is? His message is, take your shoes off. We're standing on holy ground. You see, friends, before we have public victories, we've got to have private worship. Before we go wide, God wants to take us deep. And what he does is he's, he's reminding Joshua, Joshua, remember this. You've got many battles to fight, but remember you've got to be deep in me with this. Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. Take your shoes off. This is holy ground. You see, holiness has got to come before all the stuff we do. Our being, who we are with God and in God, comes before all the things we do for God and with God. Preparation in the private, friends, place is absolutely key if we want public authority. If we want our authority to grow in the public space, if we want our voice to mean something when we speak to our friends, if we want our, 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 our perspective or opinion as a righteous person that is put in place in a, in a context, in a, in a business or whatever, if we want that thing to carry authority, it's got to have a private relationship with God. It's got to have a holiness. It's got to have, a, it's got to have something that is substance that's got depth to it because it's that depth which gives us authority in that place. You see, the authority to take the land is going to come from our ability to worship God, of our ability to be with God, to understand that the place that we're standing is holy. It's set apart. Our time is set apart. Our lives are set apart. Our purpose is set apart. Everything's set apart by God for us, for our good, so that we can have impact and do His will. And Joshua, God has to remind this 80-year-old man this again, in case he's forgotten it over the years. Joshua was reminded, again, that he was enlisted in the army. He was enlisted. It was God's army, not his army. And God was enlisting him and saying, my boy, now I want you to come in. You know, in any, in any army, in any, in any military around the world, I was looking at some video, some YouTubes this afternoon of some young men going, getting, going into the Marines, American kind of context. You know the first thing that happens when you, when you enlist and then you get in, once you get in, is you have a haircut. It's an amazing thing, a haircut. Like you don't really know you're in the army until you have your haircut. And you're all lined up there. Some oak is a dope-smoking kind of guy, dreads, uh, you know. Another guy's kind of this kind of quiff kind of guy, you know, kind of short on the sides, long on the top, kind of stylish guy. You have all these kinds, different kinds of haircuts that come into the barber's shop, into, into, the, into the place where you start to enlist. And, and, and there's this moment where actually you realize, now I'm in the army when the guy says, okay, come sit on my chair, and he takes, his, he takes his razor, and he just tunes, zzz, zzz, zzz. next, zzz, 
next. You know, there's no kind of style. It's like one style for all. Nobody gets to choose. You don't choose your haircut in the army. Exactly, my girl. You don't. It's the moment when civilians become soldiers. It's the first moment where you, where you, you take your civilian attire off and you become a soldier. And it's almost like that moment, it was like a haircut moment for Moses. Moses, today you're getting a haircut, my babe. Remember whose army you're in. Remember who's in charge. Remember who, what's happening. I've gone ahead. I'm there. I'm ready to fight. Are you ready to come with me? And so what I want to do, this morning what I did is I got somebody to give me a haircut, just so that people could remember. As you can see, I had a number two everywhere. The kind of thing that you would do in the army. And so what I want to do tonight is just, I want this picture to really sink deep into our hearts. We're going to give somebody a haircut. We're going to give somebody a military haircut. No style. Not your style. God's style. You see, when we enter God's army, it's not our style, it's His style. It's not our tactics, it's our, His tactics. It's not our strategy, it's His strategy. It's not our plans, it's His plans. And your haircut, that's the first moment where you realize, oh, oh, this is not about me. So, I want to invite somebody to come and have a haircut. I'd love to get G.R. Jane going, but I know that I wouldn't do that to a lady. So, I'm, I'm, I, want, I want to volunteer. I have got somebody ready to volunteer if nobody comes through. Who? Dougie. I said to Dougie, come on, Dougie, come and do it. But he won't. He's too much. He's got, Doug is so image conscious. He won't. Okay. So I'm going gonna, gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go volunteer. I'm going to go army style. It's like volunteer, right? You up. Okay. Where's Matt? I'm going to keep it in the family. Where's he? Where's he? But you see, one of the things that you don't get to choose when you're in the army of God is you don't get to choose your haircut, but you also don't get to choose your barber. So I want somebody that's never cut hair before. Who's never cut hair? Sebe, did you put your hand up there? Ah. Who's never cut hair? Who's never cut hair? Julia. I see that hand in the back. I see that hand. And so what we're going to do is G Julia is going to give Matt, is going to enlist him. And what's nice is that I, while he's doing this, I can talk. This morning I was kind of talking and trying to get the hair cut and it was a little bit chaotic. So um, Julia, you have the privilege of enlisting Matt. That's a number three there. And there we go. It's beautiful, man. Julia, do it. I'm telling you now you can do it. I reckon you can do a great haircut. That's it. He's got to go to university on tomorrow. See these mates. There we go. It's so thick. It's so thick, it's not working so lacquer. 
Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. There we go. I'm loving it. There we go. It's coming along slowly. Spin all these uh, things they're working, eh? They're brand new. Jeepers. You know, you know, friends, one of the things, I, I, the reason why we have a haircut in the army is, number one, everybody comes in with their own style and their own thing and their own vibe. And actually, God says, no, you know what? It's not about your style. It's about my style. So everybody gets the same. So what it does is it actually pulls everybody together in uniformity and in unity. They come together. Actually, everybody's the same. Doesn't matter whether you could afford a thousand rand haircut or whether you could afford a ten rand haircut, you all get the same haircut. It's a beautiful thing. Let me see that. Oh, I'm loving that, Julia. Keep going, man. Keep going. Keep going. I'm, you're, doing so, you're doing such a great job. One of the other reasons why you have a haircut in the army is that actually your head is for, if you need to wear a helmet, you need to wear a gas mask. It's for equipment. It's for equipment. Not only are we all equal before God at the cross, but actually we are designed to carry equipment and to get on a mission and to get into the, and to get into the army. And if we don't have a haircut, that helmet doesn't quite fit properly or the gas mask doesn't quite fit properly. And so God wants to equip us. Then another reason why we have a haircut in the army to make sure that it's all kind of simple is that actually if you get lice, if you get mites, if you sleep in the dirt, number one, your hair is very easy to wash. And actually, if you get kind of that stuff there, it's very easy to sort that out. So actually, from a maintenance point of view, it's a great haircut. Friends, you know what? It's, it speaks so much into our lives as, as Christians. Because actually, if, if we understand that there's a war to fight, that God's fighting it on our behalf, and we're partnering with Him, we've got to be ready to wear the equipment, to be part of the team and to maintain our lives in a, in a simple way that we can get the job done. And so God gives us a haircut and He enlists us. What are some of the other reasons that we have why you have a haircut? Is you know how difficult it is if you've got one of those kind of haircuts that kind of where the hair hangs this side and you flip it over kind of job and you and you aiming with your rifle through the sides of your rifle and the hair keeps... Not good. You see, one of the reasons what, that God does when he, when he gives us this haircut, He keeps us focused. He wants us to be focused. See, a soldier needs to be focused. A soldier doesn't get involved with civilian affairs. A soldier is focused. They know what they're aiming at. They know what they're going for. And so God gives us a haircut. And every, and every one of us needs to know, actually, this is it. Amen. I've been enlisted. Friends, we had an incredible morning with Gene Guthrie last Sunday morning in the morning. And we prayed, we spoke about the anointing and, and we prayed for people for a greater anointing in the evening. Amazing time as well. But you know what that is, friends? That's God enlisting us in the army and giving us a haircut, getting us ready. It's not an end in itself, it's the means to the end. It's not revival, it's normal. Christianity, Acts, Book of Acts, Christianity, filled with the power of God, filled with the fire of God, ready to minister and be a witness in the, in the nations. You see, we need that so that we can have revival. That's not revival. We need renewal in our hearts, the fire of God, so that we can see revival come. But we're not going to get there, friends, unless we're prepared to enlist. 
and have the haircut. Why else do we have a haircut? How's it going there, Julia? You're doing a great job, man. Gee, whiskers. I would actually just leave it like that. Let him go to school like that. <laughs> Let him go to university like that. See how that works for him. You know, friends, when we enlist in the army of God, it's not about our image. You know what? We don't do things because we're so worried about what people think. When you're in the army, it's not about our image. It's about the image that we are in God's eyes. Made in the image of God. Made by the voice of God. Made by the creativity of God. And we find our identity, we find our purpose and our belonging in Him. And so we take our image, when we look at the mirror, I look at the mirror and say, my gosh, you're made in the image of God and plans with destiny and purpose all over your life. How's it going there, Julia? Still going good, eh? Oh, I'm loving it. Loving it. A little bit uh, coming, coming right. It's coming, it's getting better. I was saying this morning, I was listening to a podcast re, uh, this week, and a guy was recounting a book that he had read, written or read. And, this, and in the book, this guy, and written in like the 1940s, this guy said this, there's three types of Christians. There's Christians that are outside the stadium. And what those, what those Christians have done is they've got distracted by the worldliness. They've got distracted by the affairs of the world. They've forgotten that there's a game on. And what, they've, what, 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 those, what those believers have done is they think that they've got Jesus so they don't need anybody else. Actually, I don't need the church. I don't need community. I don't need, I just, I've got Jesus. What more do you need? You know, those sorts of people, they'd rather watch the game on TV than get into the stadium. Never mind be on the field than even get into the stadium. It becomes a private faith that wants to see the world changed but not prepared to participate in the change that's needed. Because you know the change that's needed for the world to change? You know where it starts? It starts in here. It doesn't start out there. It starts in our own hearts, in our own minds, in our own lives, before it starts out there. He says the second group of believers that you have are those that are in the stadium and they're spectators. And when the team is winning, yeah, sharks. Bafana, Bafana, who knows that? I mean, they beat Libya the other night, 2-0. Tau scores two cracker goals. Bafana, Bafana, yeah, but a week before that, these idiots. Where are we going? Where's the soccer in South Africa? Can't even qualify for the AFCON Cup. Are we in? Tau scored twice. You know, we, what happens is we get the spectator mentality. And then what happens is if we don't like what the game is, and we don't like the kind of decisions the coach has made, or we don't like the ref, ah, oh, the ref, you idiot. Or if the team's winning, oh, man, come on, these guys can take on the world. But you know what? And what happens is with those spectators, those kinds of believers, what happens you have lots of opinions and lots of theory, but it's all theory because you've got no skin in the game. And must I tell you, the crisis of the church at the moment, 
The crisis of the church at the moment is spectatorship. In fact, the biggest portion of those that are in the church, that's the crisis, the biggest portion of the church is actually not even in the stadium, statistically. But then we have this, those that are in, is spectatorship, friends. But when we understand we're enlisted, we've got this guy standing there with a sword in his hand saying, come, come and fight, let's go. We're not spectators, we're in the game. And you know what? There's thousands of spectators, but there's only a few on the field. And God can change a city with a few on the field. Because God doesn't need a crowd, He just needs a remnant. He just needs a few. And the power of God with a few that are, that are hard after Him, that are contending for Him, that are pressing into Him, that are hungry for more of Him, that expect His presence and His power to come, friends, can change a city way more than a thousand, ten thousand spectators can. How's that, Matt? How are you feeling there, Matt? Looking good. There we go. Well done, Julia. You actually, actually, Justin, I reckon you're due, bro, for a haircut. The guys in the field are flying into tackles. Well done, Matt. Well done. Take your, take your hat off. The guys in the field, friends, are doing the, done the hard yards. They've done the training. They're fit. They, they're ready. They might not always win, but they're ready. They, they're pumped. They're ready to go. They're in the team. I remember playing soccer younger, when I was younger. Just every single game, roasties on my knee, roasties on the side of my things. As you slide tackle and all sorts of things. But man, you, your skin's in the game. You're playing. You're fit. You're ready to go. Friends, that's the picture of the church. And some will be on the bench for a season because they've got a rest, but then they get back into the game. Our, 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 our place in the church and the army of God is on the field, not outside the stadium, and not just being a spectator all the time. And if we are spectating because there's a season in our life that we have to do that, it should be a cheering. It should be a go, boys. Go, girls. You can do it. Even if, there's, even if the ref makes a doff one. And we think God has made bad decisions. You know, God doesn't make bad, make bad decisions. We still know God is in control and He's working this thing out. Friends, we've got a moment in God where we have to see this angel of the army, hosts of the leader of the angel armies of God. And we've got to say, God, where am I with that? What would I be doing when I see Him? Am I in the game? Or am I spectating? Or am I outside most of the time? God wants His church playing the game. God wants His church playing the game. Getting fit. Getting battle-hardened. Getting ready. Know what it is to take a punch. Know what it is to fight a battle. Know what it is to trust God for finances. To trust God for your relationship. To trust God for your business. To trust God because He's fighting on our behalf. We know that. Theologically, we know the angel of the hosts, the, the armies of God are fighting on our behalf in the, in the heavenlies. And we're, we're doing the work on the earthlies and trusting to God to see heaven come to earth. I feel like some people here tonight need to get on the field. Some of you need to be leading. 
home groups. Some of you need to be leading in business. And you're reticent. You're not, taking, you're not taking the gift that God's given you, the talent that God's given you, and stepping out. Some of you are meant to be starting businesses. Some of you are meant to be taking risks in God. God wants to commission some people tonight. God wants to take people from spectatorship and put them on the field. Some of you are outstanding strikers that can score goals. And you know you've scored goals because you've scored goals before, but you're not doing it anymore. And you need to get back on the field. Some of you are outstanding defenders that nobody, nothing can get through you. But you're not in the game. You're not defending. You're not standing there on behalf of others. You become a spectator. And I'm praying tonight that the picture of Matt having his hair done would be something in our hearts that would grab our hearts, would be a picture to say, actually, you know what, God, it's time for me to have a haircut. It's time for me to be enlisted. It's time for me to get in the game. It's time for me to pick up my weapons. It's time for me to see this great army of God. It's time for me to step out because actually there's Jericho's walls to come down and there's, 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 there's land, there's, there's inheritance waiting for me. But friends, it's not just going to come. God's going to do the battle. God's going to do the... Jeepers, the, the, there's a lot of hair there. God's going to the, do the fighting in heaven, but friends, we've got to do the partnering on earth. We've got to do the praying on earth. We've got to do the, put our presence there on earth. God's fighting the battle, but man, are we doing our part? Or are we just watching and getting cross with God because we're not participating? And friends, I'm not just talking about participating in church and making coffee. I'm talking about our walk with God. I'm talking about our, who we are. Is God, is God, is the picture of God we see, this God that's on the move, fighting for, fighting for the nation of South Africa? Do we see the angels of God with swords in their hand, wrestling against the darkness that's coming over, that's been over this land of our South Africa? And we're saying, God, no, we see that. We don't see this. We see that. Father, bring heaven to earth in South Africa, in Durban, in my life, in my family's life. Is God Father Christmas to us or is God Father God to us? See what I'm trying to say? That's the, trying to get this thing into our minds. And I'm hoping a sword and a haircut will imprint something in our hearts and that God will work that out through the week and God will do something in our hearts and take us into more and more and more of Him. Start stepping out, singing songs, those that don't normally sing songs. Start praying out, Ryan Hurton, those that haven't done that for years. Because there's a boldness and a confidence in our God that's gone before us. We're not on a cruise liner, we're on an aircraft carrier. It's not about me, it's about Him and His plans for us. And Jesus, friends, is the only way we access the plans of God. Jesus is the man. Jesus is the one we adore. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the, Jesus is the one that opens the way. Jesus is the one. When we're with Jesus, when we're walking with Jesus, we walk into the plans of God for our lives as well as the plans that he has for the world. Because, friends, we are called to change the world under his headship.